welcome to the Motorsport Coaching Podcast, sponsored by Motivate Training and Management. This is a podcast where we talk to drivers and industry experts to help you maximize your performances on and off the track. Let's get started with today's show. guys and welcome to episode 46 of the Motorsport Coaching Podcast. I am your host Belinda Risley and today I'm joined by one of my great friends Greg Jacobs. Greg is a strength and conditioning coach since 1994. He has worked with state and national level athletes in swimming, cycling, triathlon, kayaking and basketball. He's a qualified Pilates instructor since 2001 and has worked in some of Melbourne's leading physiotherapy practices, gyms and Pilates studios. He opened his own studio, Stable Base, in 2005 and continues to provide strength and conditioning, Pilates and personal training to over 100 people. So guys, if you've ever been interested in Pilates and the benefits of mobility and flexibility, this is the episode for you. If you haven't seen it already, we've launched a brand new website, so please race over to motivatetraining.com.au to check it out. There, you'll have access to our closed Facebook groups, the Motorsport, <coughs> excuse me, Motorsport Sponsorship and Motorsport Fitness, and also a brand new ebook for you guys to download. And more importantly, there's a subscribe button where you can get these episodes every week sent directly to you. So head over to motivatetraining.com.au. Now let's hope, welcome Greg to the show. So thanks, Greg, for joining me today. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. Um, so we are friends and I'm very excited to finally get you on to the show. I've been asking pretty much since the concept of a podcast came into my head around about 2016, but we're finally here. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I started uh, in the mid-90s as, um, as a, well, originally I, uh, I got into the fitness industry because I was looking for uh, I guess get some help with my own sporting performance. So late in my uh, youth at high school, I got uh, a really good dose of glandular fever and spent basically a year in bed. And uh, so then when I wanted to start playing sport again, I was just really, really unfit and out of shape. And in a small country town in Tassie back then, you, there was no such thing as as fitness or anything. You know, you you went to cricket training and you played cricket and that was it. You went to football training and you played football. So the, the concept of actually getting fit or strong or whatever to play a sport was was kind of unheard of. So, um, yeah, so I, I just started reading a lot of books and realised that I needed to get fit and strong before I could go back to playing my sports. And, uh, yeah, just started reading and reading and reading and then, uh, yeah, went and went and, Went to Monash Uni and become a what was uh, what was then called a fitness leader, which sort of included everything from working the gym to taking aerobics classes to teaching swimming to looking back now is pretty hilarious. <laughs> um, and the uh, I was just lucky that the the guy that took the strength training part of that course was a strength and conditioning coach and was tangled up with the strength and conditioning association, so he became a bit of a mentor and sort of explained to me that there is a thing called a strength and conditioning coach and what that involved. And I thought, yeah, this is this is actually the path I want to go down. So then I went and got my initial qualification as a strength and conditioning coach. And, yeah, as, as so, so the rest is history. So, <laughs> And what does a strength and conditioning coach do? Okay, so the, the on paper, you know, the, the textbook answer to that question is uh, strength and conditioning coach specialises in the physical preparation of athletes. 
So what we're trained to do is analyse the sport or the activity that the person wants to train for um, and we look at things like potential injury sites, the mechanisms of those injuries and then what does that athlete need to perform. So energy systems, whether it's an aerobic activity or an anaerobic activity, um, the specific type of strength they need. Do they need to be explosive? Do they need strength endurance? Do they need a high level of maximal strength? All that sort of stuff, very specific. Then we also look at mobility. You know, do they need to increase, you know, do they need to do a bunch of stretching, become more flexible to perform their sport, um, touch and nutrition. Uh, yeah, so basically all the, all the physical stuff that an athlete needs to be able to do their sport. And then you, you work hand in hand with a sports-specific coach maybe a dietitian, maybe a sports psychologist, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, but purely the physical stuff is what we deal with. Okay, and can you tell us a little bit more about mobility? What is mobility? I guess uh, mo- mobility is, in this where it's slightly different to flexibility, so some people sort of blur those lines, but I guess mobility is being able to get your body into the position it needs to be in to be able to perform the task and try to do that um, effortlessly. So, you know, if you're, if you're tight and restricted in your movement, movement, you know, it's going to suck up more energy, put more stress on the body, you know, potentially create injury. So what we want to be able to do is, is move freely to perform the task we've got to perform, whether that's your day-to-day life or for a specific sport. And you currently are the founder and director of Stable Base based in Camberwell in Victoria. What yes. is Stable Base? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as a business or uh, as a philosophy? <laughs> but So as a business, we, uh, well, we, we originally started as a Pilates studio, um, just teaching Pilates, and then um, I always wanted to be able to do everything that I do but do it under the one roof rather than have to move across several sites to do it. So in those first couple of years we were in business, we just taught Pilates and I've reintroduced um, strength and conditioning and personal training. So now probably a third of my week is spent dealing with Pilates. A third of my week would be acting as a strength and conditioning coach to various athletes. So I work with, a, at the moment, working with a lot of cyclists um, and particularly a uh, kind of an unknown or relatively unknown sport here in Australia, but it will become huge, I think, as a sport called cyclocross which is just kind of like this hybrid between road racing and mountain biking and it's big in Europe and it is, it is awesome because it's a great spectator sport um, and the, the athletes that I'm working with in that are just phenomenal. They're great. A um, little bit crazy, which is always good fun and just so fit and so strong so, and work so hard. Just love, love being in that pain zone, which is always fun. Um, and, and then general personal training stuff. So... I guess because of the Pilates background and the fact that I've got Pilates there, I've uh, formed a relationship with a lot of doctors and osteopaths and physios and that in the area. So a lot of clients that come for personal training are coming from, uh, you know, they're, they're either very deconditioned, really out of shape, or they've been injured doing something else, some other form of training or exercise. So they're coming in uh, needing someone who can sort of work around their injuries and and sort of get them back on track. So, yeah, it's good fun. Uh, so, obviously, you do work with 
males and you're saying you do work with athletes. Um, mm. I find that there's a lot of stigma when it comes to doing Pilates or mind-body exercises. Um, yeah. that sometimes the males think, oh, it's really just for girls. Um, could you possibly talk us through um, what is Pilates and what's the benefit of having a stable base when it comes to athletic performance? Okay. Uh, yeah, big, big, <laughs> it's a big question. Yeah, definitely the... The thing's been interesting over the years. And when I when I started in Pilates, yeah, definitely you'd rock up to a Pilates class and be the only bloke there. Um, and even when I trained as a Pilates instructor in, I think it was 2000, when I, I did my training as a Pilates instructor, there was, uh, there was myself, one other guy, and uh, uh, 12 girls, all, you know, nine of which were um, ex-ballet dancers. And, and that was very much kind of the, the Pilates scene at the time. Uh, I, I guess the way, well, you know, Castrol used to run an ad, you know, and the catchphrase was oils ain't oils and it was, it was uh, about the quality of different oils. And, well, now what Pilates is everywhere, uh, but I've got to say that Pilates ain't Pilates. There's uh, what gets done under the banner of Pilates now is, is so varied um, and a lot of the stuff that's around now is nothing to do with what Joseph Pilates was about his philosophies and his ideals and things like that. So I'll only talk about the, my approach to Pilates and what we try and achieve. Um, and I guess guess what I'd say about our approach to Pilates is that it's it's simply about teaching people how to move better. So not so much strength or fitness, it's more looking at it from a skill point of view. And the focus for us is on um efficiency of movement so so if if you were a runner for example if if i could get you to run your 10k run but do it with 10 percent less energy that's even better than getting you 10 percent fitter or 10 percent stronger okay so if you can get the same output but it costs you less to get that output then that that's a real win so so imagine if you could get a a car engine to produce 10 percent more power, but it doesn't use more fuel or produce the same amount of power and use 10% less fuel. So that's what Pilates is about. It's more about trying to achieve efficiency and economy of movement. So Joseph Pilates had a saying, you don't use 10 pounds of force to do five pounds of work. Okay. So that's that's kind of one of the central things we look on is like, don't, don't work harder than you need to work smarter. Yeah. So... Pilates, you know, the big part of Pilates is, is simply looking at um, the sequence of events. So some muscles don't necessarily need to be strong uh, where, where the dysfunction occurs is in the timing of, of when those muscles switch on and do their job. So a lot of people these days have, uh, you know, like currently glutes are a big thing at the moment and lots of people are out there, oh, yeah, your glutes don't work or your glutes turned off. Yeah, uh, in, in most cases... Uh, glutes don't necessarily need to be that strong. Like, like they are a massive muscle and the potential for power is huge. But most people's problem isn't because their glutes aren't strong enough. It's because their glutes don't turn on at the right time. Okay, so it's a sequencing thing. So it's kind of like the, uh, like the cylinders in an engine. Yeah, if, if the timing's not right, you know, performance is really reduced. And you don't fix that problem by putting in a bigger engine. Yeah, you don't just simply build bigger, stronger muscles if the issue is the timing. So that's, that's one of the things that Pilates is really good for. It's, it's about teaching people to move better 
use the right muscle for the right job at the right time. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess why I I started doing Pilates myself and really liked it was because I could see like working mainstream gyms and things like that, you could see that people had those problems. But because of the environment they were in and the mentality they were in when they go into a gym, they just think it's all about grunt and hard work and just push harder and lift heavier and work harder. Um, whereas if you take people away from that environment and put them into the Pilates studio, it, it sort of allows them to then think differently. So then you, you've got a better chance of getting them to just focus on different things and prioritise different things. So it just made it much, much easier to teach people the stuff they needed to learn. Uh, yeah, so. Pilates that you teach now, that's on the reformers? On the uh, no, it's, it's on right. everything. So, you know, originally, uh, you know, we, we didn't differentiate Pilates mat work from Pilates reformer to the reformer is only one of half a dozen pieces of equipment that Joseph Pilates invented. Um, and they've all got their places. Um, it's only sort of been since the mainstream fitness industry started dabbling in Pilates that this, uh, the reformers have sort of become a bit more well-known and famous and everyone thinks that reformer Pilates is better than other forms. It's rubbish. It really is rubbish. If you, if you understand the history of it, um, you know, the, the reformer, the basis of the reformer was actually for people who couldn't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. All right, so to a certain extent, if you can walk into the Pilates studio, you know, you're already past the reformer stage. Yeah, so it's... it's it's that sort of not really understanding the history of why it's about. A lot of the other stuff with Pilates is the, the 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 first and second and third generation of Pilates instructors were all ballet dancers, um, and and the ballet community were the biggest consumers of Pilates. So a lot of the the repertoire and the exercises and the techniques and the terminology around Pilates is, is so ballet specific. And you know, ballet is a phenomenal. Uh, art form and slash sport, and but but people who do ballet at that high level, you know, they've been doing it since they were little kids, so their body is built for it from a very young age, and they have unique demands and unique abilities. So, you know, your average person does not need to be doing the sort of stuff that a ballet dancer needs to do. Yeah. So, if you look at exercise from a a risk versus benefit point of view, a lot of stuff that gets done in Pilates nowadays, you go. You know, risk of injury versus benefit, which is, you know, why why are you doing that? Um, but but sort of, you know, it's, it's become much more popular now and, you know, people have tried to make it sexy and marketable and, yeah, so it's, it's kind of what gets done in a lot of Pilates places now is very far removed from what Pilates was originally developed for and intended for. And, and so, Greg, if someone's looking forward to getting started in Pilates, what are... Um, what, are they, what should they look for when it comes to finding a great studio? Is there, um, oh, and sorry, should they do like just one-off se um, sessions? Like how many sessions per week? Um, I sometimes see that they offer eight-week courses um, or do you think it's something that should be built into their training program? Yeah, you've got to, you've got to think of Pilates as, as a, um, all exercises. So, so, so if you're a, a motorsport person or you're a footballer or a basketballer or whatever you are, or even if you're just someone who just has a hit of golf on the weekend and you just want to be able to do that without screwing up your back. Uh, you, you've got to think of all the other forms of training and exercise as tools, okay? So 
Um, you want someone to help you with your physical preparation, you know, find find an expert, find a specialist, you know. If you've got a plumbing problem, you don't go talking to an electrician, you hire a plumber. If your car breaks down, you take it to a mechanic, you know, not a painter. Same sort of thing with your body. Uh, you know, tread it like a machine. So find an expert. So the way to do that would be, you know, basically go and speak to people or at least have a conversation over the phone or email. Don't get so caught up in what qualifications people have got. I, I, I think it's much more important to find out the person's history. You know, what have they done themselves and why have they ended up being either a trainer or a Pilates instructor or whatever. So back in the day you, you couldn't train as a Pilates instructor unless you'd done 200-plus hours of Pilates yourself as a participant. Um, now as the market's becoming more saturated, more and more people are offering training courses, all that stuff's gone gone out the window so you can get a qualification as a Pilates instructor without ever having done Pilates yourself, uh, which is just, it just doesn't work. It'd be like, would you, would you take swimming lessons from someone who's never actually been in the water? Uh, it's, it's the same deal. So um, look at, yeah, look at what the person's own history is before becoming a Pilates instructor and why they become a Pilates instructor. Um, that I think is more important than what qualification they've got. Yeah. And then the other thing is, you know, like I said, you know, going back to that, that sort of analogy with, with a tradesman, you know, Pilates and exercises and strength training and mobility work and all the rest, they're all just tools, yeah? So it's about finding the right tool for the right problem. Yeah, so it's like a mechanic, you know. You know, they may be awesome with a spanner set, but, you know, it's no good if the problem requires a screwdriver, yeah? And it's, it's the same thing with exercise. We, we need, people need to get back to going, you know, what, what is the problem you need solved? Okay, this is the best tool for that job. So it may be Pilates, it may not be Pilates. But even if it is Pilates, then, you know, there's, there's a couple of thousand exercises in the Pilates world. So, you know, what's the right exercise for the right person? And you obviously don't get that when you're in a big group class and everyone's doing the same thing. You know, it's not going to cater to the individual needs. So if you really enjoy working out like that and you're just after a workout and to, you know, move your body, great. But if, you're, uh, you, if you've got specific needs like you're a motorsport athlete or a golfer or whatever, then you need to attend sessions that are tailored to your needs, not a generic all over sort of, uh, you know, hamburg with a lot. <laughs> so yeah, it's probably best to get your own personalised Pilates instructor to help you. Yeah. Fix yeah. What's wrong? That's right. Um, however, Pilates is great for injury prevention as well. Can be, yeah. Once again, depending on the specifics, yeah. 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 yeah I so. guess um, most common injuries that we have in motorsport, depending on what type of vehicle they're driving, but it's a lot mm -hmm. of neck, lower back, and um, you know, arms, forearms, and stuff like that. So. Yeah. I guess people would be going, oh, should I be going to Pilates or should I just be doing like, I guess, massages or something like that? Um, yeah. Saying there's all those tools out there, is there any advice you have for someone um, to try and identify what the right tool is? Uh, well, yeah, you'd, you'd kind of need a bit of an assessment from someone who knows what they're doing. So you'd look at whether what, what the underlying cause is. Okay, so I haven't dealt much with with uh, motorsport, but uh, as I said, I work a lot with cyclists. So, for, for example, the, the number one injury in cycling is actually necks. So apart from the acute stuff that happens when you crash your bike, which hopefully you don't, 
<laughs> but but the, the number one uh, injury problem in cycling, both recreational cyclists and professional competitive top-level cyclists, is neck, and that's just because of the, the postural strain and stuff like that. So, you know, you, you, you can train your body to become better at, at handling that stress. So it's a case of looking at, okay, is, is, the, is the posture on the bike as good as it possibly can be? So even though the neck may be the problem, person may need to work on strength and mobility somewhere else in the body. They need to look at, is the bike set up properly for them? Yep. And then it's a case of understanding the difference between training the body for stability as opposed to training the body for strength. And this, once again, a lot of people don't understand. So stability in the exercise world means the ability to resist unwanted movement. So simply with your neck, simply having the right muscles working to keep your neck in a good position, okay, as opposed to strengthening the neck, which would be like strengthening the muscles that move your head. So different muscles have different functions. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people mistake or they try and improve their stability by training their strength, okay? And the stronger you are, you are able to achieve strength, but it comes at a cost because those muscles that, that move your neck are generally bigger, so they suck up more energy, okay? So it's not a, an efficient way to keep your neck stable. You're better off training the muscles that are designed for stability and training them with stability training and then train the muscles for movement and you know, try to strengthen those. So there's, there's two different groups of muscles, each with a specific purpose. They should be trained specifically to their need and their purpose. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it sure yeah. does for me. But yeah, we can talk yeah. about yeah. We're, we're living in the same world here. So, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's the same with the lumbar spine. So, once again, uh, you know, most people need to improve their lumbar stability as opposed to strength. But, you know, people talk about core strength without really understanding what, what they mean or what they talk about. So you can strengthen the big muscles, the big outside abdominal muscles and the big back muscles and everything, but those muscles are actually designed to work at a high level of force for a short period of time. Yep. So they're not the best muscles to train for just keeping the spine stable. Yeah, it's that whole cliche when people love doing crunches to get their six-pack. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And, yeah, you know, being in the industry a long time, like I, I'm so old that I was in the industry before the core word core was used and, you know, the, the core was was introduced and, and started to be used to try and get people out of this abdominal crunch type, you know, let's just build up our abs mentality. Um, but now it's kind of been perverted and misunderstood and, now people are doing crunches and going, this is a great core exercise. Like, no. oh, really? <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> we don't teach that here. We do, however, um, always recommend um, people when they're starting off with a fitness program to try and get a postural analysis. Yeah, um, from a local um, training health practitioner. So even awesome. though we have an online um, app and do mm -hmm. online fitness programs, one of the first things they have to do is actually go get a postural assessment by yeah. an osteo, chiro, physio, PT, EP. Yeah. Sorry, exercise fees. I always talk in acronyms, but yeah. um, you know, until we know what's weak and what's strong, um, it's very hard for us as trainers to identify um, your training program, and that's why everything we do here is specialised. Yeah, great, awesome. Yeah. Is there any apps or anything? Do you encourage anything like that? Oh, we've, we've just talked about going to see a training health professional before they start that. Yeah, I, th I, I really think. 
Um, yeah, and, and I've got a huge bias here, obviously, so I'll put my hand up straight away and say it's a very biased opinion. Um, well, one of the things that makes my job really hard is working with people is when they have a little bit of knowledge. Yes. So I try to discourage people from, unless you're going to do a deep dive and study the bejesus out of it, leave it alone. Leave it to the professionals, yeah? So I don't, I, I don't encourage people to read, you know, a bit out of a magazine or, or look on social media or get an app or something like that until they've got a lot more knowledge and can put some context around that information. But as a starting point, people need to go get, go to an expert and, you know, get sorted out, you know, uh, get an assessment about what your specific needs are, what the highest priority for you are, and then just work on that and understand that it's a process. Um, I haven't seen any really good apps or anything like that because, once again, they're, it's like a one of those group exercise type approaches. You know, it's, it's all based on the assumption that your starting point is here and that you want to get to here. Um, and that's really not many people. You know, if your starting point's over here somewhere and where you're trying to get to is here, then this thing doesn't work for you. So you spend time and money and energy for very little return. So, um, you know, particularly when what we're talking about is, isn't your main activity. If you just want to do Pilates or strength training for strength training's sake, awesome. But if you're an athlete from a different sport, and the Pilates or the strength training or whatever is is to assist that, then then the other stuff needs to be very very specific. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, get an assessment, work with a professional. You need, it doesn't have to be ongoing, but at least for your starting point, yeah, yeah. And then then you've got more context around whatever other information that comes in at a later date. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, you just touched base about social media. Why do you think that we only kind of see photos, I guess, of guys doing heavy weightlifting or their gym photos? Um, we know that athletes do do Pilates or, and yoga and meditation. Why mm. do you think males don't promote exercises as much? I could really upset a lot of people here. Um, but, you know, I've never, never shied away from doing that before, so I start now. <laughs> I, I, look, it's, it's it's about appealing to the lowest common denominator, unfortunately, and, you know, please hope people don't take offence at that, but, but basically, you know, a lot of that stuff on social media, one, 90% it, it, of it is to sell shit, okay? Let, let, let's be honest. It's someone trying to sell you something. They're trying to sell you their weight loss program or their gym program or their supplements or their clothing or whatever it is. Um, the thing with social media too is it's, we're, we're, it's it's appealing to an audience that has you know this much of an attention span. So it's got to be something quick that grabs someone's attention. You know, probably late at night after they've had a bit to drink, or you know they've just split up with someone and feeling lonely and vulnerable or whatever it is. But it's it's ne not necessarily about the quality of the information that's provided. It's it's about mass appeal and what's going to sell something at the end of the day. So that's that's what drives it. So that's why we get these these sort of get bombarded with these images of what they think the general population want to see and are going to invest in. So yeah, so you get images of guys with six packs lifting heavy weights, and you get images of skinny chicks in lycra doing yoga and Pilates. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. 
Yeah. That's not really the case, though. Sorry? However, that's not really the case. No, it shouldn't be. No, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, but and, and this is kind of where I'm, you know, could go off on a tangent here about what I don't like about the fitness industry as a whole. You know, it, it, you know we, as, a, as an industry, we do a great job of making fit people fitter. Yeah. But there's 80% of the population out there who won't go anywhere near us. <laughs> and they're the, they're the people that most need our help. But our whole marketing and our imaging and everything is such a deterrent to those people, uh, which is just, it's just wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, we just started with our online app, a new service called Motivate Training for Me, which is right. for like the pit crews and the families of driving. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of resources there, but it's yeah, yeah. Like, let's just move all together and if yeah. they they feel, see the banner and they don't want to come under that motorsport brand. Um, yeah, yeah. We started motiv- Motivate Training for me and it's just yeah, about, that's know, great. Whatever yeah. works best for them. And yeah, that's great. I mean, for, for people these days, even if they're not athletes, what, what people need to realise is that, you know, you're going to live longer and you're going to be uh, expected to work to much later in life. If, you're, if your body's bashed up, uh, you know, those last 20, 30 years of your life are going to be pretty un- pleasant um so yeah and it, it is it's it's like maintaining a car you don't just drive your car race it hard then park it in the garage and then drag it out next time you're in a race you, you maintain it hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully yeah, yeah. And, and part of that maintenance process is looking for potential problems so so trying to change a part out rather than wait for the car to break down and then fix it the idea is to prevent it breaking down in the first place. And, and people sort of get that around a vehicle, but they don't do the same thing to their body or their mind. Yeah, and, you know, you can't get, or you can, but it's much harder to get replacement parts for your body. <laughs> so it's even more important that you maintain it. And that's, that's once again, for athletes, you know, doing stuff like massage and stretching and eating properly and core stability work and all that sort of stuff, it may not make you race faster this coming weekend. But what it does is maybe give you another four or five years in your career. Yeah, and that's why we kind of wanted to encourage the pit crews and the parents of to get involved in their own fitness and well-being because they are a part of that team. Because, for example, if they're racing an endurance event, um, they're going to have to be on the ball when it comes to changing tyres or putting fuel into the car, um, depending on how many cars they have within their race team. So they actually have a physical component to their job as well, even though they're not might be the appointed driver per se. Important that the whole team is well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and there's nothing because I I would imagine having been involved with the sport, but I would imagine a lot of those people are doing that sort of stuff because they love it, and they're probably not getting paid a cent for it. Yeah. Right. So like mechanics, like their mm-hmm. trades are background, and that but they don't see themselves to be a worthy part of the team. Well, they may, yeah. but not. Yeah. They might not think they have to be fit in order to do the role. That's right, yeah. So, but, you know, wait until they're, you know, they bugger up their knee or they bugger up their back or their shoulder and can't do those things anymore. Uh, and that's where you're going to see a pretty unhappy individual. So, yeah, and a lot of that stuff, a lot of those lifestyle-type injuries and everything uh, or, you know, sport-related are, are avoidable. So, you know, I see a lot of lower back injuries. I see a ton of people with lower back injuries and I see, you know, 
tradies come in and, you know, they've got this lower back injury when they're in their 30s. Uh, but then I see a lot of lawyers and accountants with exactly the same injury. But, you know, they get it in their you know, 40s and 50s, 60s. Okay, so it's the same injury. It's just the tradies, you know, use their body more so everything wore out that much faster. Um, yeah, but both both groups uh, end up pretty frustrated, unhappy individuals because they can't do either what they need to do to earn a living or what they want to do. So, uh, yeah, and in both cases, it's if they'd done a bit of maintenance in their 20s, <laughs> they wouldn't have that problem later on. So They had a stable yeah. base. <laughs> that's all right, yeah. <laughs> well, Greg, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate right. the wealth of knowledge that you've um, presented to us around Pilates, um, mobility, and um, what is a strength and conditioning coach. Cool, thank you. Um, so all of... Greg's details for his website, not that there's much on there <laughs> because he is based in Campbell. He does have his own practice there. So if you are in Campbell or Victoria, feel free to go on down to Turak Road. Is that right? Did I Turak Road, yep. Yes. So then 50B Turak Road. It doesn't just have to be in Campbell. You can come from far away places like Hawthorne or Richmond or somewhere really bizarre. That's right. <laughs> um, and thanks again. No worries, sir. Thank you. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this week's show. I really hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. Now, remember all the show notes with the links and the specials mentioned in today's show are available over at motivatetraining.com.au. If you haven't already, I'd really appreciate if you could head to iTunes or Stitcher, type in Motorsport Coaching, subscribe and leave us a review. Each week, I'll read them out and you'll go into monthly draw to win a fantastic prize. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at motivatetraining.com.au or head over to our Facebook page at Motivate to Tea. Until next time, take care.